today we are ending our series called Love Better. And I hope that you've uh, enjoyed this. I hope that you've benefited from it. Uh, what I want to do is just circle back for a minute if you're just catching up with us and uh, tell you there are two kind of background thoughts to this series uh, that we've been really trying to talk about. One is, um, how do we love better? But the other one is, why? Like, why, why would we even, why would that be important to us? And um, the answer is this. The highest level of spiritual maturity, the highest definition of spiritual maturity in the Bible is love. There's, there's an infallible sign that you are a spiritually mature person, and that is that you have become a loving person. Love is the highest definition of spiritual maturity, and it is the only one, in fact, that matters. So that's the why, because we want to grow up into everything God wants us to be, and then a lot of the series has been focused on, well, then how would we do that? If, if I wanted to love better, to learn to love better, you know, wh what would I even do? And if you were to ask 100 people on the street that question, they'd probably, you know, have a variety of answers, but maybe not very many good ones, or maybe even lost for, for an answer. But let me, let me share this with you um, kind of as a, a backdrop for our thought today. There's a Russian novel um, that shares a story about a wealthy woman who comes to a monk and she asked this monk, um, how do I know that God exists? And the monk says, well, there's really no argument that I can give you to prove to you that God exists. What you're going to have to do is you're just going to have to, um, the, be the best thing you can do, he says, is you're going to have to practice uh, active love. And she confesses to him, well, it's funny that you should say that because I've actually daydreamed many times of giving all of my wealth away and serving other people and, and really to dedicate myself totally to those in need. She said, but then I think, you know, there probably are going to be some people that I'm serving that start to complain. And some of the people that I serve are probably going to be ungrateful. Some would probably complain that the soup's not hot enough and that the uh, bread's not fresh enough and that the, the bed's uncomfortable that we've made for them. And she said, when I think about that, I just can't bear, I couldn't bear the ingratitude. So she said, then I circle back to wondering if God's real or not. And the wise old monk said this to her. He said, love and practice is a harsh and dreadful thing compared to love and dreams. Love and practice is a harsh and dreadful thing compared to love and dreams. Now that encapsulates a lot of what this series has been about. Not what is the love song on the radio say that love is. Not what's the top 10 you know, Spotify love songs say love is. What, what actually is love? And we've defined it as mercy in action. So Jesus in the New Testament and in fact all of the New Testament defines love as the highest thing. It's the goal of the Christian life to make unloving people loving. So I want to look at 1 John 4, 16 this morning and unpack a few verses here that show us the why once again. <clears throat> God is love. Whoever lives in love 
lives in God and God in them. This is how love is made complete among us so that we will have confidence on the day of judgment. Now look at this sentence. This is, in my opinion, one of the most powerful sentences in the entire Bible. In this world, we are like Jesus. Can I just tell you, you can go ahead and write that one sentence down and spend the rest of your life reflecting on it, and you will never finish it. In this world, we are like Jesus. That's the call. All right, let's go on to verse 19. We love because he first loved us. Whoever claims to love God yet hates a brother or sister is a liar. For whoever does not love their brother and sister whom they have seen cannot love God whom they have not seen. So in other words, you can't claim that you love an invisible God if you don't love a visible person. Do you, do you see the connection there? This is, takes us right back to Jesus' words. The greatest commandment is love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, strength. Love your neighbors yourself. It's inseparable. Spiritual maturity is defined in love. And you're, So let me, let me say it a different way. What if you and I were to measure the amount of love that we had for God by the amount of love that we have for people? And not just in feeling, because we've said love's not a feeling, it's mercy in action. In other words, the actions and behaviors that we take toward people, would they be able to live up to that high standard? Love for God is measured by love for people. Galatians 5 says it this way, For in Christ Jesus neither circumcision nor uncircumcision has any value. The only thing that counts is faith. The only thing that counts. Just let that truth wash over you for a minute. The only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through love. Expressing expression, practice, behavior, spoken words, lived out. So what we've said in this series is it's not enough for you and I just to have inherited eternal life and to be believers and to have faith in God and know that we're going to heaven. That by itself is not going to transform us into fully loving people. Will it help? Yes. Is it the best start? 100% it's the best start. But it doesn't mean that we automatically just become loving people. So what we have to actually do is we actually have to learn new ways of doing things because when, when we come from our families of origin, we come from our culture, we come from wherever, we've learned ways of relating and what we're likely to do is just repeat those ways until they're called into question. We're, we're likely to talk to our spouses the way that our parents talk to each other. We're likely to parent our kids the way our parents parented us. All of that. You can just extrapolate that out to every relationship in your life. Until we stop and we question it and say, wait a minute. We might actually be caught in this limiting cycle. We're just repeating the same behaviors over and over, and we tend to repeat what we've experienced. So the hope of this series is not that you would have just heard or learned new skills to love better, but that you would actually practice. 
that you would grab onto one or two of them and actually make them part of your life. So what I want to do is just summarize the skills we've looked at in this series. The first one was receive God's love. And that just means uh, we oftentimes think about our love for God. And we think about giving God our love because that's our expression of faith toward him. But we don't oftentimes think about how do we, other than being a Christian, how do we live this ongoing practice of receiving the love of God? And this is why this one is critical and it's first. You cannot give what you do not have. And so you have to have a practice in your life in prayer, in delight, taking delight over the things that God delights in, in rest, in, in, in beauty, and experiencing and and taking joy in the things that God takes joy in. So receive God's love. The second skill is treat people as you, not as it. In other words, you, you can't treat a person, any person, as if they're a commodity or they're an extension of your own desires or they're a, a chess piece to move around in life to help accomplish your own plans. Uh, and that's what consumers tend to do. That's what we tend to do in a consumer society. So what you have to do is treat a person as a you, not as an it. When we treat a person as an it, we treat them as disposable and replaceable. But here's what God says about every human on earth. Every human on earth is a unique creation of the Father that's completely non-repeatable. Every time you encounter a person, you will never encounter that exact person through all of human history. They're a son or daughter of God created in his image And when you treat them as a you, you love better. All right, here's the third one. Embrace Jesus' model for relationships. We talked about that last week. Uh, If if you hadn't got any of these, you can get them on our YouTube channel or or Facebook or our website. So one, the, the first side of that is to immerse yourself fully in another person's life and try to empathetically experience what does it feel like to be them. On the other tension end of that pole is hold on to yourself. Don't lose your own identity in that process. And then, of course, Jesus was our model. He died on the cross, suspended between heaven and earth. And it's that tension that we live in. Okay, those are three gigantic shifts and skills and ways to encounter. Today, I wanted to offer you one skill that is more of a micro skill. Uh, that you, you and I can learn to do. Here it is, number four. Check assumptions instead of mind reading. Check assumptions instead of mind reading. Now, um, unfortunately, it's human nature for all of us to believe we already know what other people think. Anybody want to confess that? We believe we know what other people think. And when we begin to question someone else's behavior and we don't know what they were thinking or why, we tend to fill in that blank. Well, I'll tell you right now why they did that. Well, how do you know? Because I read their mind. Well, how, how do you know how to read somebody's mind? There's an old leadership principle that says this. People are down on what they're not up on. And I've used that quite a bit. And here's what it means. When you leave too many questions for people when you're trying to lead them, they tend to fill in all those blanks with negative things. 
So if you want to be a good leader, inform people, inform people, inform people, because it's human nature for us to fill blanks in with negative things. So try not to leave too many blanks. Only the mind refined by the Holy Spirit fills in blanks with the best thoughts about other people. And that's what it means to be more mature and to love better. So just think about it like this. I'll use a safe example, okay? Because it's, you know, February and the weather's warming up and we're not even near Christmas, so I won't hit any nerves on this one. But I want you to imagine for a minute or reflect back on your Christmas celebrations and think how many assumptions there are built into Christmas celebrations. When you come to Christmas and you exchange the presents and you look, you assume that people are going to spend the same amount of money on the present they got for you that you got for them. Is that always true? No. You assume, because you ask people to come and eat you know, Christmas lunch or whatever, that they're going to bring some food with them. They don't always do that. You assume, because you've been in the kitchen slaving for three days to make this Christmas meal, that they will inhale in 20 minutes that the majority of them will hang around and help you clean up. They will not. You assume because it's Christmas and it's this holy day and it's this incredible moment where you have time off and people are together that there's going to be no tension. How many of you have tension at Christmas sometimes? Because we assume that we know what other people are thinking. And these wrong assumptions about relationships come from our families, they come from our culture, they come from love songs, they come from movies, they come from fairy tales. And we interject all of those things into other people's thoughts. So why is this so dangerous? Why is it so dangerous that we assume, what's the big deal? Here, here's two reasons it's dangerous. We are fallen people that live in fallen cultures and we come from fallen families, and we tend to have been raised in environments where this is a normal practice <clears throat> that we've never even questioned before. We just do it without thinking about it, and, and we don't even question it. And so making assumptions about what other people are thinking has become second nature to us, and we don't even know we're doing it. But it's a big threat because we're not aware we're doing it. That's why it's dangerous, because we're doing it on autopilot. That's not even the biggest reason it's dangerous. The second reason it's dangerous is because it damages relationships and it causes pain. People leave marriages over assumptions. People quit jobs over assumptions. People leave churches over assumptions. Friendships end over assumptions. Assumptions can make you physically sick. Because you assume that you know what somebody else is thinking and why they're doing what they're doing and you lay in bed at night and you worry and you spin it in your mind over and over and over and you lose sleep and your anxiety rises and you get filled with worry and you're stressed. And as I've said earlier in this series, the greatest problems we have in life are all relationship problems. And pushing those assumptions in there causes it. So when we question someone's behavior, we tend to fill in the blank with our assumptions. So let me give you an example of how that might look. Uh, somebody doesn't return your text for a couple days. So what do you assume? Well, they must be upset. 
Or they must not want to talk to me. You, you, you uh, call somebody and three days go by and they don't return your phone call. You leave them a, a, a voicemail. And so after three days, what story have you told yourself about why they didn't do it? Well, they're ghosting me because, and then you make a story up. And stories matter because the stor- stories dictate how we feel about people. Let's give you an example. Let's say you're meeting someone for lunch and they're 30 minutes late. If you're sitting at a restaurant at a table for 30 minutes and they haven't arrived or called or texted, and you're sitting there, you are telling yourself a story. You're making up the reasons that they're not there and you haven't heard from them. Now, one story you could make up is you could say, I wonder if they've been in an accident. I wonder if they're okay, if they had a car wreck, if something's gone terribly wrong and they haven't been able to communicate. And so what feelings does that produce? That produces feelings of concern. Man, I wonder if they're okay. On the other hand, if the story you tell yourself is, you know what, I I guess this relationship was just more important to me than it was to them, and and this isn't very important to them. If you tell yourself that story, what kind of emotions are are you going to produce? Frustration. And so whenever you do see them, the stories that you've told yourself are going to inform how you feel about them. Now just extrapolate that over time, over dozens or hundreds of assumptions that you make about a person, and you can get all bowed up and mad about a person, and they don't even know what you're talking about. Because we make these stories up. But stories are connected to feelings, and it's critical to check out these stories. And by the way, this, com- this skill comes directly from the Ten Commandments in Exodus 20, verse 16. The Ninth Commandment says, you shall not give false testimony against your neighbor. But when you assume you know what somebody else is thinking, you might actually be telling a lie about your neighbor. You might only tell it to yourself, but it's still a lie. It's still false. It's still a made-up story. You're giving a false testimony to yourself about them, about your spouse, about your kids, about your parents, about whoever. Pete and Jerry Scazzaro have said it like this uh, in their workbook on emotionally healthy uh, relationships. They say it like this. Every time we make an assumption about someone who's hurt or disappointed us without confirming it, we believe a lie about this person in our head. Because we've not checked it out with him or her, it's very possible that we're believing something untrue. Listen to this. It is also likely that we'll pass that false assumption around to others. And when you entertain those false assumptions about other people, you actually leave Jesus' kingdom and you enter into an earthly, fleshly kingdom because Jesus' kingdom cannot be built on falsehood. It cannot be built on falsehood. So assumptions without checking them out has the potential of planting a lie in our mind and it's not living in Jesus' kingdom because you're not moving in truth and it damages relationships, it damages marriages, it damages uh, parental relationships, it damages sibling relationships, friendships, church family, work relationships. I mean, we have relationships everywhere we go and oftentimes our relationships stay weak because we're drowning in an ocean of assumption. And we don't take the time to check out any of our assumptions. We project our thoughts because we assume we know what other people are thinking. 
And, and check this out. If you keep telling yourself stories about someone else and you're assuming what they think, you're not even building a relationship with them anymore. You're building a relationship with the them that you think exist. What hope do you have of having an authentic relationship with somebody that you invented in your own mind? Do you see the danger? It moves us into delusion and it moves us into inauthenticity and it breaks relationships down. And here's the other thing. When you live in assumptions about what other people are thinking, you're actually pretending to be God. Because only God knows what somebody else is thinking. The Bible tells us he knows our, our, our words before when they're still in the thought form. And he's the only one that does. So when we pretend like we can read other people's minds, we pretend like we're God. I, I had a, um, an occasion of this in my life many years ago, and I didn't have the language that I have today. I didn't have the concepts that I had today. I didn't know what to call it. But as I reflect back on my own life, I experienced it. And so I just want to give you an example. So maybe that example can help you see it see the dynamic in a, in a real relationship. Uh, when my wife and I had been married about 10 years, and, and by the way, the two hardest points, for those of you who are married, the two hardest points of marriage are around the 10-year mark and the emptiness mark. And the reason the 10-year, that's what the statistics say. And the 10-year mark is so hard because you probably by now have a house with debt, you have the least time, the least money, you have kids, you have a mortgage, you have, all, you have the most responsibility with the least resources to cope with it. It takes about 10 years for you to get there, and when you get there, you feel the stretch. And so we were in a, we were in a conflict, and it wasn't, it wasn't even a big deal. It wasn't a major conflict, but it was just kind of, we were riding in the car and talking about, I don't even know what it was, something. And I remember just saying to her in, in the middle of this little tension, I remember just saying to her, I... I even used the word, I just assumed that you weren't happy in this marriage. I just assumed you weren't happy. Now, I didn't have the kind of skills I'm trying to teach you today, but I said it. And she said, no, where did you get that? I'm, I'm very happy. I was like, well, I, I didn't know. I just assumed you weren't happy. Now, that has a lot of backstory. Where did I get that assumption from? My parents had a bad marriage, and I saw the hardship of their marriage, and so when I became a Christian and then moved into marriage myself, I, I thought, okay, I'm a Christian now. My parents were un unequally yoked. One was a Christian, one was not, and I saw the difficulty of that, and I said, okay, both of us are Christians, so it's my responsibility to make this marriage work and I'm gonna do whatever I have to do because what I don't wanna do is I don't wanna repeat what my parents did. So I'm gonna, I'm gonna make this work and I'm gonna, I'm gonna work hard and I'm gonna do whatever I have to do. And here's the thing, I assumed that it was my responsibility to make her happy. And every time I got any kind of feedback like she might not be happy, I took it personal because I felt like I was failing. I didn't know that. But when she said, no, I'm very happy, I, I, something, I, I began to realize, wait a minute, I'm not even relating to the person that you are, I'm relating to the person that I think you are. Yeah. 
My assumption is putting a lot of pressure and weight on me that you're not putting on me. And that assumption is making me stressed and making me feel pressure and making me work in ways I shouldn't work. And so I had multiple assumptions built in there that I had to question. And when she said, no, I'm very happy, I said, well, I've got to find new ways to interpret our communication then. Because I'm misinterpreting you. And I'm not even trying to. And so what I realized, what I had to learn was, it's actually not my responsibility or your responsibility to make anybody happy. Happiness is a personal responsibility, and we all have a choice. My responsibility was to love her. Her responsibility was to decide if she was going to be happy or not. And that's, and that's the same case for you in a relationship. I can decide to love, but I can't decide if you're going to you know, love life or not. <laughs> and so what I had to figure out is I didn't have this language, I didn't have this skill, but what I had to try to figure out is renegotiate these assumptions are, are, are putting pressure and stress on me, and it's not your fault. Like I, I, don't, I, I don't know exactly where I got them. So I had to go in a journey to try to figure that out. Proverbs has a lot to say about this skill. Proverbs 18.2, Fools find no pleasure in understanding, but delight in airing their own opinions. That's about as plain as you can write. Proverbs 18, 13, to answer before listening, that is folly and shame. Proverbs 18, 15, the heart of the discerning acquires knowledge for the ears of the wise seek it out. Boy, those are, those are good words, aren't they? So as we kind of tie this up this morning, let me, let me give you three very simple things that you can do to stop mind reading and to, and to um, check your assumptions, okay? Here we go. Really, very, very simple. So simple, you could probably just memorize it. Number one, stop mind reading. <laughs> Do you see what I'm saying? This is not rocket science. What it is, though, is it's not that it's complicated, it's that we're unaware. So what I'm actually saying to you is try to notice when you do it and catch yourself. Catch yourself every time that you assume you know what someone else is thinking, reject that thought. It actually happened to me this week. I, I was outside and I saw a person that I, I, I don't even know his name. Uh, we may have met once, but I've known him from a distance for a long time, but not really known him. And he was, he was walking out outside and as I, as I went by, I mean, I wasn't close enough to talk to him. his way over there, but I walked by him and just thought, just by me, going, man, that guy's grumpy. That guy's a grump. I'm just telling you what I thought. I thought, that guy's a grump, man. He's grumpy. And as I'm, as I'm walking way across the other, on the field over there, I stopped myself and I went, wait a minute, what are you doing? I don't even know his name. I'm not certain 100% I've ever even met him. Why would it be important for me to tell myself, a, tell myself a story about him when I don't know his name and I've never met him, but I'm just reading his demeanor and projecting that onto him? There may be some things going on, you know, and I went through the whole thing, and then I went, wait a minute, I'm supposed to preach about this Sunday. 
I can't go to church and tell everybody, and I don't even, and here I am, I'm doing it. And so I just, I just stopped for her. I said, God, forgive me. I don't want to bear false testimony on my neighbor. And I reject that assumption. Because here's what happens. If I tell myself that long enough, one day I'll probably end up meeting the guy. And I'll be waiting for him to show his grumpiness to me to confirm that I was right. Because I already decided he's grumpy. Stop mind reading. And by the way, we all do it. (laughs) So stop mind reading. Number two, check assumptions. Okay, so here's what I mean by this. Um, The example I just gave you was from someone I've never even really met, so it was easy to just kind of throw it away. I didn't need to walk across the whole field and say, hey, uh, I assume that you're a grumpy person is that, and he's like, who are you? You know, I don't even know. So that's not going to work in that case. But the closer a person gets to you, the more you're actually going to have to check these assumptions out. Like husband and wife, kids, as your kids become teenagers, as they get a little older, parents, you know, friends. You're going to have to check these things out. So how do you check an assumption out? It, it's this simple. You just say to them, hey, can I check out an assumption with you? Um, I noticed that you haven't returned my call and that's unusual for you. So I, I just assumed that you were upset at me about something. Um, is that true? You see, you're, not, you're not accusing, you're not blaming. You're actually just confessing your assumption in a, in a gentle way. You're saying, I, I assumed you were upset at me about something and I'm, is that true? Now, here's what's awesome is they get the opportunity then to say, no, no, I, I, I didn't even say, you know, cell phones don't always work right. <laughs> Sometimes you call and the other person doesn't get, or whatever. They get a chance to explain. Or maybe it opens the door for them to say, you know, I didn't mean to not call this long, but I, I was a little frustrated by whatever. But what it does is it opens the door for you to have a, a better relationship, and can I just say it? It opens the door for you to love better. So let, let's put this in the context of a family. Um, maybe you could say to your husband or wife, I, I, I think that you think that I, I'm gonna be responsible or should be responsible for all of our spring break and Easter plans. There's a relevant one, that one's coming. And it's early this year, by the way, so get ready. I think that you you think that I am responsible for all the Easter and spring break plans. See, that's an assumption. Have you ever talked about it? If you never talked about it, maybe that's just an assumption, but you can test that assumption out. Now, what you might be thinking is, are you kidding me right now? That's like you're reading from a script. That's, That's awkward. Yes, let me tell you something good about awkward, okay? When you start to learn a new skill, it's awkward, but that's a good sign because it means you're growing. It means you're pushing to a breakthrough. It means you're taking new ground. And you may say, look, who who talks like that? Nobody talks like that. Exactly. People don't talk like that. And people have bad relationships. (laughs) So if you want to have better relationships, if you want to love better, you have to start to talk in ways that most people don't talk. Because we, we have a pretty relationally dysfunctional culture. 
So you begin to say things like, hey, can I check this assumption out with you? Now, I do understand that uh, if, if you're watching online from somewhere outside of our region, I do understand we do have a unique nuance that not everyone shares everywhere in the world. We live in the South. And in the South, you know, we have Southern culture, which is be nice, be polite, you know, and we get the nice part right. You know, bless her heart, right? Look at her, bless her heart. And the stories are just, raw. I mean, the movie's in full length by that point. Bless her heart. Isn't she sweet? Bless her heart. Everybody knows what that means. You hate her. You know, everybody knows. You can't stand her. You hope you don't run into her again. Everybody knows. Everybody gets it, okay? It's just Southern culture. And we got to be a nice part, right? But what we often do is use nice as a shield and we bury the assumption. And when you bury an assumption, it grows into a full story. And when it grows into a full story, you are now further away from loving better and having a healthy relationship because you're now interacting with the person that you assume them to be. You're not interacting with the person they are. Like with my wife, I was communicating with the person I thought she was. I wasn't communicating with the person she really was. And it took time for us to work through that. When you bury an assumption and, and live if it's, if it's true, it breaks down relationship. Okay, stop mind reading, check assumptions. Here's the third one. Move into greater truth and love better. I had the coolest thing happen this morning. We were in prayer a few minutes ago. And I was sharing uh, a, about a particular scripture uh, with the prayer team. And in the middle of me sharing that, uh, this lady on our prayer team just laughed a little bit. And I didn't honestly really even notice it. And then uh, after prayer was over, she came up to me. She goes, hey, can I say something to you? Uh, sure, yeah, what's going on? She said, hey, when you were talking about that scripture, I laughed. And I just didn't want you to think I was laughing about the scripture. <laughs> You know, I was laughing about what you said. She said, I was laughing because this very morning, um, I, my daughter and I were on the phone. She was going through some stuff, and we shared that exact scripture. And she said, I was just laughing about how good God is and how amazing it was that this scripture's come again this very morning. It's just confirming to me that we were talking about the right thing. And I said, wow, do you see what she did? She didn't use the word assumption or anything, but what would happen if she wouldn't have talked to me? She might have went home, she goes, my pastor thinks that I think scripture's funny. <laughs> you know, or my pastor thinks that I was laughing at him or whatever, whatever the stories are that you tell yourself. But you know what happened? She came up to me and tested that story and now it's good. Now, as a matter of fact, it's not good, it's better than either one of us thought. And I, and I didn't even notice that she did anyway, so I, I wouldn't have known any different, but she would have. She would have stewed on it. So here's the thing. Move into greater truth and love better, and the more that you do it, the more natural it'll feel. Would you stand with me this morning? Lord, we thank you today that you are a God of um, unbelievable love. And you have... Um, shined your love down on our heart and you your goal is to drown us in your love so that we would be so convinced and so saturated and so changed 
and so open and so teachable that we would just change from year to year to year to year. We would grow more and more and more in love. So Lord, I, I pray that you would help us to do that because sometimes love really is um, a harsh and dreadful thing in practice. But in dreams, <laughs> it's different. So Lord, I pray today as we look to you and worship you, that you would, you would help us in this moment to experience the love of God.